Hello, listeners, and welcome to a supersized episode of FF Plus, our spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, discussions, interviews, etc. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me tonight for this mega episode are Patch. Hey, everyone. And Coles. Hello. We have a bunch of movies to get through. That's right. We have been kind of collecting these like Pokemon over the last month, just waiting to drop this big episode that's going to be our last FF Plus of 2020. So we kind of packed them all in there. I will take some of the blame or credit, depending on how you want to look at it, for this, because this episode started with, I think, three movies around the normal number. And then I just kept emailing these guys. And I was like, hey, guys, can we add this? Hey, guys, can we add this? And I really appreciate both of you because you both totally, uh, you know, you were you were great about it. You were like, yep, that's fine. May not get to them. We'll try. And everybody did an incredible job and got to every movie that they possibly could, with the exception, I think, of one that we got hosed by a studio on for Patrick. But, uh, you know, that's the breaks of living in Arkansas. What can I say? Move to Seattle and you'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go over so. <laughs> All right. Well, lots of movies. Again, spoiler free. We're not going to go into any depth in the plot. We're going to talk about what we liked, mention anything that we didn't like potentially, and let you know if we recommend it or not, tell you when and where. You can watch it, and then we'll move on to the next one. Hopefully you guys enjoy this. And as always, feel free to come check us out on social media channels after the fact and let us know what you think of these movies. Okay, we're going to start, guys, with a movie that was clearly a B-movie. This came to us from one of our multitude of studios that are press agents, I guess I should say, that email film critics and are like, hey, can you review this movie? We get inundated with these on a daily basis, and most of the time they're just like complete junk, to be honest with you. But this one caught my eye, okay? It's called Max Cloud, or I actually think it has a longer title, but I don't know what they're going with. It's like the intergalactic adventures of Max Cloud, or something insane like that. Look, if there was one reason for us not to cover this, it would be that would be a crazy long tag or title for me to put on our banner. I exactly. Do, that's just that's just a no for me. To it's like it's like the ones with colas. We don't like those. Yeah. But we're okay. gonna call it Max Cloud. So you can find it okay. if you look it up with Max Cloud. Max Cloud stars Scott Adkins, action star, Tommy Flanagan, Lashana Lynch, who is actually going to be potentially the next James Bond, uh, Elliot Langridge. Sally Collette, Franz Drama, and John Hanna. It's written by Sally Collette and it is directed by Martin Owen. The synopsis, when teen gamer Sarah finds an Easter egg and accidentally opens a portal into her favorite side-scroller, she becomes trapped in a notorious intergalactic prison, home to the galaxy's most dangerous villains. To escape, she must finish the game with a little help from her not-so-savvy friend on the outside, or remain a 16-bit character forever. Okay, gamer premise. That's what drew me to this super colorful poster. It looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. Patrick, I'm going to ask you first, because you were originally with me on going, hey, that looks fun. That looks cool. Let's check it out. What did you like about this one? I love the the homage to the 90s side-scroller. definitely took me back to my high school roots. Um I love any movie that's very self-aware and doesn't take itself too seriously. You have uh, a high risk, high reward when it comes to stuff like that. You kind of have to know where to press the buttons, <laughs> literally in this game, and, or in this movie, since it's surrounding a video game. And I thought that 
the the actors that portrayed these characters were very much having a great time playing these parts. And when you have a movie like that, I think you can't help but smile throughout. Even if you're not having a good time with the story, you can definitely appreciate the fact that as a filmmaker, I want to be on set with these guys having a good time. Because even if this movie bombed, these guys would probably think, hey, at least we had a good time making it. Okay, what about you, Coles? What did you find likable in this one? What I found likable was the diverse cast of characters we had in this film. Um, it's hardly that you ever see a female gamer be a protagonist of a gamer film. It's mostly just a, a teenage boy or adult man, so I thought that that was great. And she also had a black friend, a black guy friend, who came over and helped her out and through her adventure. And then we get to see a couple interracial couples in the film, and I really lo- and I really like that. Um, also, I like that the film didn't take itself seriously as well. Um, usually, this would be a film that I would look and pass through on an on-demand or a voodoo catalog. But for me, I tempered my expectations. I came in there expecting just to have some fun, and I did have a little bit of fun. I find myself in the same um, dilemma that I had with Bill and Ted face the music. For me, I couldn't really say this is something I could go back to or even like really recommend, but for the people who love video games and who love nostalgia, remembering the days that they played Super Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog, this is going to be a favorite among them, and especially for the little kids who love Minecraft and Fortnite. Well, I had many of the same likes as you guys. I, I really did gravitate towards the idea that there's a female gamer that is the heroine in this, and also the female commander uh, that is calling the shots within the video game world. So that was really nice. I actually noticed and was, you know, attracted to the diversity as well. Coles, I thought it was awesome that they were showing, you know, a female and a black male as the two main gamers in this, specifically because Gamergate has been such a problem in recent years and there's been so much gatekeeping around the video game community where certain voices are either pushed out or women are like they have been in so many areas, not considered real gamers. And I absolutely can't stand that. And so it was great to see the film kind of address that. It is colorful. It's a, it's a very neon-y pink and blues. It's got a fun synthy score that I enjoyed. And frankly, I just really liked the concept. The idea of this is what hooked me. I'll transition us into our dislikes because the concept worked. The execution to me was absolutely awful. And it's a B-movie in every sense of the word, but it's not a B-movie that I feel like I enjoyed enough that I would ever watch again. I When I was happy about diversity and happy about a female heroine, it's like they kind of take a step back because then they put a female heroine in the game And then they have her be controlled by a male. And so I was like, well, do I get upset about this? Because, you know, yeah, it's a black guy and that's great. We were bringing some diversity into this gamer world. But really, she is not have any agency whatsoever in this film. He controls all of her actions and she is clearly more understandable and knowing about the situation. And so that was a little frustrating for me. The villains are, you know, typically silly and and uninteresting. The lack of a VFX budget in a film like this really hurt it. Patrick, you mentioned homage to the 90s. Like, they're playing on a CRT TV, and the controller looks like something that people who don't ever play video games imagine 
video games used to look like. That was I mean, kind of what bothered me. Go ahead. Well, it was it was close to a Genesis controller. I mean, I think that that's that's what I recognized as a Genesis guy growing up. The the curvature you it it was not a Genesis controller, but it had the ergonomics of one. And so seeing that, I kind of put myself in the Genesis mindset of like, okay, yeah, this is kind of like uh, Final Fight or whatever. And so I don't want to say that helped my movie experience, but it definitely connected me in a way that says this isn't like somebody making up those movies and TV shows where you have Pac-Man sound effects being played while somebody's using a Nintendo controller just to kind of sell the audience that they're playing a video game. This felt a little bit more realistic, although part of the time I was thinking, what Sega game is this that they're trying to emulate? Obviously, it's not anything, It's but it seemed like it was somewhat distracting in terms of trying to figure out are they playing on a regular console or are they making up one? Because the controller was recognizable, but obviously the game wasn't for obvious reasons. They're telling the story about Max Cloud, who doesn't exist. So. And copyrights. They've got to be careful and tread sure. a line there. The other big thing that, that bothered me, guys, was a couple of tropes, one of which specifically just sticks out like a sore th- thumb to me in any kind of movie now. There's one point where a guy tells a girl... If I get you out of here, you definitely owe me a date. And that's played as a joke. And I've got an issue with that because that, that goes back to a culture in which has we've built upon years and decades of men feeling like they're owed something for doing a thing for a female. And I think it's something that we need to start getting out of our narratives. Like, that's not how we get a date. We don't get a date because we did something to help a person. You know, if if a person is attracted to us and wants to go on a date with us, they will go on a date with us. But we don't win that or we aren't owed that as a prize for helping someone out and doing a good deed. And that's the way that it comes off. And so that just kind of got under my skin a little bit. Um, Kales, what about you? Anything? That, what else did you not like about it? Or um, It goes back to the limitations for me. There's limitations definitely in the budget. Um, this isn't going to be like a Ready Player One or Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is the, ty- the kind of video game films that I like. Um, this one, the acting is um, very severely kind of cringy at certain moments. The humor is definitely something that's not really going to fly. You Planet Danis! Yeah, those moments I was I kind of just sat there muted um, at the screen <laughs> um, and the and then going back to what you were saying, Aaron. Yeah, I, I feel that there's not much here outside of the Max Cloud being inside the video game. I mean, they try to impart the story of Sarah and her father and then they go about it in a bad way towards the end where they show him like, hey, he's a gamer, too. And this is how they could connect. And it is very unflattering. Um for me, it's just something I'm just not going to be able to come back to. Like, it's something that if the kids want to watch it or a niece or nephew want to watch it, I'll be down to watch it with them. But they're going to get more out of this than I would. Like, for me, I, I'm kind of too old for this, as Danny Glover would say. Nice. Patrick, anything else that you want to say? I will say that I think it's too tongue-in-cheek for its own good. And if we didn't have Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle or Welcome to the Next Level – this would have felt a little bit more of like a fresh idea, but we see how successful execution of that idea works. Yes, higher budget, but you still have that self-awareness, that tongue-in-cheekness here and there, and the playing off of tropes that are 
in these types of movies. The other thing was, and this is probably because of the limited VFX budget, this looked a lot like old school Power Rangers and even the new Power Rangers that my, my son watches. And it's it's hokey and it really is kind of cringeworthy for me. I, I don't like, it's it honestly nails on chalkboard. The kind of over the top, I'm going to get you. And it's just not my kind of humor. I mean, I like slapstick. Look, Aaron, you know me, I, I can go for stupid humor more than anybody. This is a type of humor that I'm just not into at all. Fair enough. All right. So I'm going to guess and say you're not feeling this one, Patrick. Not feeling it. Kales? Not feeling it. Yeah, that's three of us. Three not feeling it. This will be out on VOD on December the 18th. So if what we said was the opposite of what you like and you are attracted to the things that we don't like, then by all means, go check this out. Otherwise, probably not worth your time for a rental, especially considering we've got like six movies left to talk about just in this episode alone that are coming out. And we're much higher on, well, all of them, I would say. So let's move on. That's a good news. That's I'm going to throw that bone out to you. Keep listening because it's going to get better. It's going to get better right now, right fast. The next film that we are going to talk about is Lupin the Third, the First, which is a terrible title, by the way. I, I don't understand why we make complicated titles. I, it just doesn't, there's no need for this. There, there's just not, right? It's really confusing. But Lupin the Third is the name of the character, and this is the first, I guess, animated film of this type with him or something. Uh, this movie is based on a story by Kazuhiko Kato, who is also known as Monkey Punch. And it is based on the Lupin the Third franchise, which began way back in 1971. It's directed by Takahashi Yamazaki. The synopsis, a lyrical and spiritual... Whoa, whoa I didn't write down the right synopsis, guys. Whoops. Um, hmm. That's, that's The Exorcist. That's from last episode. <laughs> Real life fail. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, so, Lupin the Third essentially is about a master thief and his crew of companions and they are seeking out to essentially find this treasure a la an indiana jones type of adventure and they've got an inspector on their tail and there's nazis and it's kind of bombastic and a little bit wild the characters are anime so they're a little bit they're not all just normal characters like you have like a samurai character and you know, they're a little exaggerated in the way that they're depicted. And that's good enough for now. But it goes back. This has had a long running anime series, mangas. And then actually one of the early Studio Ghibli films is a, a film that is a Lupin movie that is really, really good as well. Obviously, totally different animation style. That's an old school like 2D animation and this is the first time the movie has or the characters ever been realized in 3D CGI. So, Kales, I'm going to start with you because I have no idea where you fall on anime in general or Lupin. I don't know if you had even known who this character was before I put this in your inbox. So, what were you thinking about this? Did you like what did you like about it? I had a real good time with the homages to Raiders of the Lost Ark and even the Daniel um, Craig James Bond films. I really loved the action sequences, even with the wacky character models. They still look great, even for, for an anime film. And I love the cinematography. The, the music is amazing. The jazz and the nice little neo-noir-influenced neo music, I really like that. It reminded me of um, the Peter Sellers Pink Panther films back in the 60s. And... 
I like the voice acting. The voice acting was great, especially the accents. And I would want to see more of these. Um, I could see this being like something that I would love to see, like a loop in the third or the second. Like I wanted to follow the character because he's very wisecracking. He's clever. He's charismatic. He's very confident and he's good at what he does. And I'm, I will follow those characters to the moon. I, I had a wonderful time with this film. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yay. 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 I, you were my, I was been questioning this for weeks now because I hadn't, I didn't want to ask you ahead. I wanted to find out on the air. So I'm super glad that you enjoyed this one. Patrick, how about you? What did you like? Yeah, I echo a lot of what Coles said. I, if I had one word takeaway, it would be Lupin. And if I had two words, it would be mutton chops. These are the things that just made me made me smile throughout. But along with that, you know, I got the Uncharted meets Get Smart vibe. And uh, again, so glad I played the Uncharted series. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to make that reference. I love the set pieces, the puzzles, and like the folding wing plane. I actually love the fact that this is set in 3D as opposed to your 2D anime style. Because, Aaron, as you mentioned, it is anime. But there's something interesting that happens when you translate this into a cgi 3d pixar-esque type of animation those exaggerated faces don't feel as exaggerated it actually feels like a different art style and and i'm i like anime i mean i had a whole summer of it a couple of summers ago and there are things about it that i like there are things about it that i don't but watching this i think it makes it really accessible to folks that don't really have that anime love that you or i do or a lot of people have it's it makes it more accessible to those guys. So I think that that it has a lot of that going for it. I like you, Kales. I love the 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 use of the dubs. I thought the accents were fantastic. It played really nicely into the overall plot. So we get a particular accent that makes sense for that character that adds to the story. In the in the case, there's a German accent that exists in the movie, and I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't know what this would have been like with the subtitles, and apparently I'm the subtitle hater in the feel and film world, so to really kind of reinforce the fact that the dub was good, I'll say that it really worked for me. I'd be curious to watch it with the subtitles to see if I got the same kind of experience, but this is one of those times when the dub really did help enhance the story, and and like you, Kales, I had a fantastic time with this. You're not the only one in the feel and film world because I vastly prefer dubs anytime there's a good dub. And one thing is, I'll mention this again at the end of the little extra thing that I'm going to throw out after we're done here. But G Kids has been just killing it with dubs lately for this movie. Uh, it's very good. I have some issues with it. I'll mention it in a second, but it is it is very solid. And then they've recently done a dub for Tokyo Godfathers, the film from Satoshi Kon. I just watched it for the first time tonight and it was blown away by it. It's a masterpiece in my opinion. I absolutely love it. And the dub is fantastic. So G kids is really making a name for themselves with their anime in the West, bringing it to the Western world. I'm so happy because we're getting access to these things that we may not have just even five to 10 years ago. And we're getting access to them in a way that is even more accessible and that's one word I would use in my likes is this is accessible to American audiences. Whereas Lupin the third, the cart, the cartoon, the anime, I've watched some of it and I enjoy it, but it is very different. It's way more anime. And, and there's, I, I, I use that as a description word, but like, it's just eclectic and a little bit more bonkers and a little bit more exaggerated than this film is. And this film really feels closer to a 10, 10 
or like we, we talked about, like an Uncharted CGI cutscenes from Uncharted or, um, you know, something like an Indiana Jones story, which I will always love. You know, treasure hunting is one of my absolute favorite genres. And so I think it is fantastic. I think it maintains the spirit of the series really well. It's got, like you guys said, big action set pieces. It's got lots of gags and it doesn't short you on the relationships. It's important that these characters interact and they grow and they have meaning within the reason that they're there together. And that makes you want to see what happens to them. It makes you care about them. Love the puzzle solving, like safe cracking and trying to figure out how to open this diaries super secure mechanism the 3d animation took a minute for me because i have seen the anime and so it, it was not instantaneous i needed a good 15 minutes to 20 minutes to adjust to it and i was like okay by the end of the film i might prefer it <laughs> because i'm just that guy who's modern i guess i think it looks incredible and like you said Coles, i felt the same way like i was ready for more I think that they do a great job of revealing themes slowly about family and legacy and how you become who you're going to be. And this cast of characters, the reason it's a long running anime for what did I say, like 70s, 40 years now, this has existed. It's because you can tell an infinite number of stories with these characters in this type of world. And I'm here for it. Like this Lupin the third, the second, I don't care how stupid they're named, bring them on. All transitions again, the uh, voice acting for me, the one thing that I had a little bit of an issue with is I feel like some characters, and this is part of personality of the characters, so I'm not really faulting the film, but it was a little bit of jarring for me, is that some sound more serious and dramatic, like Letitia, and some characters sound high-pitched and goofy, like Lupin. And they, when they're talking to each other, those different tones in the voice acting didn't always work great for me the plot is pretty thin and predictable it's not super deep and i'm kind of over nazis okay finding nazi treasure like it's a little bit too raiders of the lost ark for me or even crystal skull plus Raiders of the raiders of the lost ark in some ways it, it, but it goes to a little bit of an interesting area but like when hitler is involved i'm just at the point where i'm just kind of like uh can we is there anything else that we could do other than Nazis and Hitler, but really small dislikes. I absolutely loved this one. Patrick, was there anything you disliked at all? That I didn't see the series first. And, ah. and I say, and I, and I laugh at that, but legitimately I felt like the samurai himself, I wanted more from him. I know we didn't need that because he wasn't essential to the story. I mean, he was part of the ragtag crew. It, it felt a little mission impossible, right? Like, so we're trying to get, we got Ethan Hunt's, character in lupin and we've got his crew but what that told me is that there were probably episodes of the tv series or the manga that featured this guy like he had his own arc at some point and so i laughingly say i wish i'd seen the series first because i felt like i'm getting to know a small bit of these different characters that we don't get a lot of information about other than the fact that they're part of lupin's crew and they're interesting a guy with a mysterious samurai sword, that's pretty interesting to me. And I want to know more about that. So if anything, it makes me want to check out the manga, if I ever had time to do that, or the TV series, or any other property that includes Lupin. At the very least, I hope I get a sequel to this, which we can expand on and maybe get to see more of these uh, tertiary characters. Great. What about you, Coles? Anything you didn't like about this one? 
this is kind of going to play off the positive because while it does remind me of films like Indiana Jones and James Bond, I do feel it wears its influences a little bit too much on its sleeve. Like there's nothing really that differentiates it from any other like anim animated adventure film. I mean, it does what it does really good and it's entertaining, but there's nothing really new or different about it. I can understand that. And I think that's where more movies will be awesome because it's kind of like the, it's a great starter piece to get you set up. If it's all we get, it's a little bit of a letdown and you kind of wish you had more. So I'm with you there. So are you feeling this one? I'm feeling it. Patrick. I would most definitely feeling it. Yeah. Same here. Uh, it is coming to VOD on December 15th, which checks my watch. Yep. Yep. That's in the past. So it's already available out there right now. You can rent, I think, and or buy. Actually, I don't know if you can rent it. A lot of times these movies will come out and you have to buy them for the first however long before they become available to rent. But it is accessible now, and I'd say it's well worth it. It's one that I'm going to buy. So that's how much I'm feeling it. I want to own it and be able to watch it anytime that I so choose. And Patrick as well, because, you know. Well, actually, Coles, because we all three share a voodoo at this point. So I guess I'm yes. just talking to, to my buddies here because they would have access as well. Moving on, next film in the list is a major Oscar contender. That is Promising Young Woman. This stars Carrie Mulligan, my, like, crush, Bo Burnham, Allison Brie, Connie Britton of Friday Night Lights, Adam Brody from the OC. This movie's full of people I love. Jennifer Coolidge, Laverne Cox, Max Greenfield, Christopher Mintz-Plasse, Chris Lowell, Sam Richardson, Molly Shannon, and Clancy Brown. It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell, and I believe it is her debut, if I am not mistaken. The synopsis is very simple. A young woman, traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out vengeance against those who cross her path. Coles, what'd you like about this one? It's incredible. Um, it, it immediately shot up right to my number two for the year. I mean, this is a film that is a blast to watch, but it's also a serious commentary on things that are still plaguing women in the society. You know, where we talk about toxic masculinity, where we talk about rape culture, where we talk about mansplaining. I mean, this film hits it all, but it's not melodramatic or it's not as um, dense as a Lifetime original film. It has pizzazz. It has spark. I mean, it blazes right off the screen. Um, Carrie Mulligan... I, I can't name one other performance I've had more fun watching. There's probably better performances than her, but I think I've had the most fun this year watching her just eat up every bit of dialogue and the screen time that she has. She's incredible. She's a dark horse for me as far as a Best Actress nomination. Um, I love Bo Burnham and his supporting part. He was excellent. Um, when we get to the negatives, I will say this more, but I hated seeing Connie Britton being a, a bad person in this film. I, I really hated that. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, everything else, the music, the cinematography, the um, production design, I mean, this is a movie with no boundaries. It feels like that this is, this may be a debut female director, but she, ha she has it. She has it. She, I can't name it, but she has it. And this film is something I want to go and rewatch, like, many, many times over. Like, it's definitely going to be a day one purchase for me when it comes out on Blu-ray or 4K or whatever. But I would recommend for everybody who's listening to this to go watch this film. Patrick, how about you? What'd you like? Well, I I enjoyed it. It the premise took a bit getting used to, but it felt really fresh. I think it's very unapologetic in the story that it's telling and the ideas that it's unpacking. It didn't quite telegraph 
some of the twisty stuff that happens near the back third of the film, which I thought was nice. And I'll echo what Coles said. Carrie Mulligan is absolutely fantastic in this. I saw that Margot Robbie was uh, one of the EPs on this, and I just I hearken back to to Bombshell. I'm thinking like she must be kind of giving revenge to her character from Bombshell. <laughs> Uh, and giving agency to Carrie Mulligan's character, it was just something that if you're going to talk about feeling something in a movie, the emotional takeaway that we talk about on feeling film, I definitely felt crappy being a man. And I'm not even, in my opinion, halfway as crappy as the guys that we see in this movie. And I think it's effective because it speaks to the indecency, the ridiculousness the just the craziness and we talked about this from uh from max cloud just the not even just the tropes but the stereotypes and the things that get pushed on women that get played out in a movie like this and it's done in a way that doesn't feel preachy and in some ways that's very refreshing because you are watching the story first and foremost instead of getting a social commentary and the social commentary is not subtle by any means, but I think it takes a back seat to the overall entertainment value of the movie itself, which I think is really important because you don't want to be preachy in a movie. You want to entertain first. And if you can do that, I think that makes a movie successful, which is why I think this is one of the more uh, fitting Oscar contenders for this year. Yeah, I echo everything you guys have said. I agree with that. It is a wonderful film and it shot up into the top five or six of my year as well. Coles just on that first viewing uh, kind of caught me by surprise, blew me out of the water. I love Carrie Mulligan. And I think that I love how you put this Coles that she may have had better performances, but maybe not as much fun and enjoyable to watch performances. I'd probably agree with that. And I love that because there's a distinction there. And I was thinking through, man, I've got some other performances in my mind that I really think she killed just as good as she was in this, but this is just, you can't take your eyes off of her in this film and the way that she is moving through this situation that Fennel has crafted. It, it's stylish. It's twisted. It's, it's bitingly mean. It is deviously funny. Uh, and yet, you know, the way that it takes on and confronts that toxic masculinity culture is important. And I, Patrick, something you said actually resonated with me because you were talking about how, you know, oh, it kind of makes you feel bad as a man. And what it did for me is I felt empowered in a way. I felt reinvigorated to go, I'm tired of seeing this. Like if I'm the, what I, what I got out of this was like, if I see this happen, this story reminds me that somebody's got to stop it. Like it, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's not all in a back alley, right? Sometimes it's in a group. And sometimes there's people there that have the ability to say no, and they don't because they don't want to be that guy. And those guys are just as culpable as the one who is actually, per, you know, perpetrating the assault or whatever the case may be on the woman and on the victim. And that's, that was just huge for me. Um, I, I like the twists that this takes. I wasn't expecting them. <laughs> so that's always fun because, you know, we watch so many movies that they can become pretty predictable just out of the nature of having seen it all. You know, like your mind is quickly going through all these checklists like, oh, I bet this is going to happen. This one kind of caught me off guard and I 
Really enjoyed that as well. Kick-ass soundtrack and needle drops. They fit the tone of this really well. Bo Burnham's great. Really fun cameos in this movie. The Some of the people that I listed off as being, quote, starring in it are only there for just one or two scenes, but the way that they show up I thought was just enough not to be too distracting, but to kind of be like, hey, I like that guy. Oh, why is that guy such a bad person? Like, I don't want to believe that kind of cameos. And no nudity was a refreshing surprise to me. In a movie like this, I expected somewhere there to be a sex scene because I thought we would get that. And what we we don't get it in the way that you might expect there to be. And we have a female director, so that's probably part of why is because there's a different gaze being put on this perspective of this character that she what she's going through. But I appreciate that. Just I know that I have a lot of friends who don't watch movies with nudity and that doesn't disqualify this excellent film from them seeing it because it's not there and it didn't need to be and works out great. Really, my only dislike for this one, guys, was I think that the tonal shifts can be a little bit too often. It it doesn't stay in one lane for very long and it just kind of like oscillates back and forth. And so we can go from really fun needle dropping style, having a great time, kind of entertaining, bombastic moments to like, oh, we're just talking and we're just drama and oh, my God, this is heavy. And then we're back to being crazy and then we're back to drama. And so I think with time, obviously, the director Emerald Fennell, is going to figure that out. But. I think it would it could bother some people more than it bothered me. It didn't totally ruin anything for me by any means, but it was noticeable. Um, other than that, I really don't have anything negative to say about it. Uh, what about you, Coles? Anything bad? This is a major nitpick, but just seeing Tammy Taylor as a villain—I mean, it, it's never it's never good. I love Connie Britton, and to see her being a bad person, it, it doesn't feel good for the soul. But I mean, other outside of that, I have nothing. I mean, this was fantastic from start to finish for me especially as an educator like of all the things you're going <laughs> to use her as i i wonder if it was intentional because you know she's an educator of incredible quality and incredible character on friday night lights as we all three know and so then to have her play almost like an opposite version of what she would be in that show feels very intentional but what about you patrick what did anything you didn't like about this one well, so the the negatives that I have are personal negatives. I can't really fault anything on the filmmaking itself, but if you kind of align with me in terms of the types of movies that I see, um, like you, Aaron, I think there were times it didn't know what it wanted to be—a thriller, a comedy, a drama. The the switching and the use of mu music was hit or miss. I liked it, but I think that tonal shift, the music has to feel consistent. It, it's it's a it's a through line for me. If you're gonna thread the story throughout and change things up the music has to kind of help with that and i don't think it helped that for me but on a personal level some of the quote uncomfortable scenes that happened were a bit lengthy for my taste i get why i get needing to linger and i see the purpose it was effective and i would think that if i'm watching this in the theater you have laughter and then you have silence and then awkward silence. And you get that same thing from a Tarantino film. And I felt that going, you know, experiencing those. That didn't take away from the fact that they were effective, but from my taste, 
trim those back a little bit. And I think it, it, it would be a better movie experience for me. But other than that, no, it's a really, really great film. All right. So it sounds like you're feeling it. Yep. I'm feeling it. Coles. Super feeling it. Absolutely. So me too. I think it is a must see uh, movie. And I think it is definitely going to be a strong Oscar contender. I hope so. I know it's going to be a strong contender with Seattle film critic society of which the two of us have a say in. So that's awesome. We can do our part. Uh, this will be available in theaters on Christmas day. And I believe there's a VOD rollout plan for not too long after that. Sometime like within a month, even, I think this is going to be coming to the small screen. So see it in a theater. If you have the opportunity and you want to do that, I think it'd be a great time to go see that. But if, uh, if you can't, it should be able to um, be available on your TV soon after Christmas. Next up is another Oscar contender, I would say, and that is One Night in Miami, starring Kingsley Ben-Adir, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, Leslie Odom Jr., Joaquina Calacongo, Nicolette Robinson, with Bo Bridges and Lance Reddick. It's written by Kemp Powers and based on her own stage play of the same title. So this is an adaptation, and it is directed by Regina King, her first ever directorial effort. Synopsis, on one incredible night in 1964, four icons of sports, music, and activism gathered to celebrate one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. When underdog Cassius Clay, soon to be known as Muhammad Ali, defeats heavyweight champion Sonny Liston at the Miami Convention Hall, Clay memorialized the event with three of his friends, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. Based on this award-winning play of the same name... Uh, this is a fictional account uh, inspired by that historic night that actually took place, and it looks at the struggles that these men faced and the vital role that each of them played in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. And 40 years later, it's looking at how their conversations on racial injustice, religion, personal responsibility, and more all still resonate. Coles, I'll throw it to you first. What did you think about One Night in Miami? What did you like about it, rather? The performances in the cast are incredible, especially Kingsley as Malcolm X. Um, he hasn't been on my radar, but now he is. I mean, he's great in this. Then Leslie Odom Jr. I mean, he's a multi-talented guy. I mean, the guy can act and he can sing. And he's able to do both of those things in this film. And he displays it very, very well. And then you have Hodge, uh, who's also one of my personal favorites. He's great in this. And then we have Gory as Ali. I don't know what he did or what kind of accent coach he got, but maybe he needs to keep that guy because he sounded exactly just like Muhammad Ali. Like I even, once I turned the film, I went to YouTube and looked up some Muhammad Ali clips and I kind of like tried to put their voices together and I couldn't find hardly any differences. So great job with that. Um, then you have even the minor character, just like Louis Riddick, who played one of the bodyguards and Lawrence Gillier Jr., who played Muhammad Ali's manager. Now, I don't know if you guys don't notice or if you've seen this show, but both of those actors played in HBO's The Wire, which is like my favorite show of all time. So I had to shout that out real quick. Um, Regina King's direction, I think she handled it very well. I mean, it does. It feels exactly like what Denzel Washington's Fences felt like. Like it's a movie based. It's a film based on a play. So there are definitely those moments where these guys are just stuck in one room. And it's kind of you're kind of going off of them to carry the film. You know, you're going off of the dialogue, the screenplay and their energy and their, you know, just their acting. And it works very well. 
the, that's probably the only limitation I could say about it. But I think this is a nice start for Regina. I mean, I wouldn't expect her to be a full-fledged director just on her first film, but this is a good start. Um, for me, the performances are what won the film over for me. Patrick, how about you? What'd you like? Well, unless Wonder Woman 1984 does anything spectacular, nothing's going to top this movie for me for 2020. I absolutely loved it. And it starts with the exposition. I read, you know, I did my little IMDB while I'm watching the movie, and I watched the exposition play out. Loved the fight choreography. Thought it was tight. I thought it was short enough that we didn't linger too much. And then when we get to the hotel room, this is where the play comes in. This is where the 90-minute play really sets the sets the tone. And when you adapt a stage play to a film, you have to have those characters and the dialogue carrying the film because there's nothing when it comes to action set pieces. There's no dynamic sets that you are clinging to. I absolutely love the performances. I echo what Colesse said. Eli Gorey is perfect as Cassius Clay, and I laughed as much as anybody could anytime he would talk about how pretty he was. It felt like I was watching Cassius Clay do his thing, and it made me wish that I lived back in the 60s to see that kind of amazing arrogance play out. To see these guys come together, I love the fact that we get isolated stories throughout this movie. We get to hone in on each one of these four individuals and how there are conflicts between pairs of them. And even though this was it was based on an actual night, but yes, it's fictitious in terms of the dialogue, what we get is such an ideological sense of the struggle from various African Americans who looked at civil rights differently. And I I love how Regina King brings these characters together and shows us a little snippet of what that would look like, that there was a struggle within the black community. Not everybody was on board. Not everybody was approaching civil rights the same way. I love that there's reluctance. I love that there's some negativity, some pushback and the dialogue back and forth. You didn't have anybody that you were rooting for. It wasn't like I looked at Malcolm X and said, yeah, he's right. And he's the one that's pushing this agenda. No, Sam Cooke had things to say. So did Jim Brown, and so did Cassius Clay. I didn't expect that. And when you walk away from a movie like this, obviously it has cultural relevance today. There's no denying that. But I think as a film, it is incredibly entertaining. And to do that from a stage play, it takes a lot of talent. And from a first-time director seat, I think Regina King nails it. Wow. Strong words. Love it, man. Love the passion and the enjoyment of this one from you. That's great. I, too, agree on the performances. I think they're all fantastic. What really locked in for me and blew me away was Leslie Odom Jr., who obviously was already in love with from Hamilton. But Sam Cooke is the character in this story that I know nothing about. I've never listened to Sam Cooke's music. Uh, I never really, I mean, I've heard a couple of his songs. Now I've realized that in hindsight, but I didn't know who he was. And so learning about him was new to me. I knew a little bit about the other guys and knew who they were, but I love the performances. I really like movies like this and like fences. I like stage adaptations like this. I don't care if it's in one room. 
as long as the characters can 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 carry the movie. And sometimes they can't. Right. Fence is a great example because it's a two person show for the most of it. And they rock it because they're phenomenal actors. This one didn't quite get to that level for me for everybody, but I thought that it was just really fantastic regardless of that. And I think that I'm a little bit more aligned with Coles in that I think that Regina could have done more in the direction seat with some dynamic camera movement or angles or something to make it a little bit more flary. That's not a word, but give it a little more pizzazz to it. More of like what we see on that rooftop scene. There's a rooftop scene where an argument takes place. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was directed very well. Um, it was a challenge for her guys to like, you know, go into a film where she's confined into one space for the whole thing. But I think she does a really good job enough that I'm super excited to see where she goes from here. And obviously we all agree she's an incredibly talented actress to boot. So I don't have any doubts that she is going to be wonderful going forward. And I think that for me, I just really loved this idea of imagining what this friendship might have been like outside the public eye. You know, I know all three of us are sports fans, so we're all going to be familiar with like a Jim Brown. We're all going to be familiar with a Muhammad Ali and their career. Obviously, we know who Malcolm X is and what has happened with him. There's a great emotional storyline that's taking place with Malcolm that hits pretty hard because you know what's going to happen to Malcolm shortly after this takes place. And it's being talked about. And I just the idea of what these guys go through and how they interact with each other. It felt so personal and intimate, like it almost felt like I was a voyeur and I was not supposed to be there. Like I didn't deserve to hear some of the things that bothered them and some of the things that they struggled with. Like that wasn't for my ears, but it, it simultaneously made me think of them more as people and humans who had problems and real life issues that went far beyond just their fame or celebrity or whatever it is that they were super talented at and good um, at doing in the public eye. And, you know, it's tough watching this, knowing that some of these problems still exist. It just drives you crazy and, and it makes you hate it. But I really, really enjoyed watching this depiction. And um, it's one of my favorite movies of the year for sure. Coles, what did you not like about this one? I'm going to skip you, Patrick, because you liked everything. Yeah, for me, it, it goes to Regina. You know, this is just her first film. But yeah, there's not really much dynamic to what she's doing with the camera. It's a minor nitpick. I can't really spot anything else that I would find to be a negative because everything in this film is just done in a commendable way. Yep, I'm with you, man. I, I really don't have a ton to comment negatively about either. I think I'm feeling it. I say absolutely go see this one. You should do that at the first opportunity. Uh, you guys, seems like you would agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. So One Night in Miami will be available in select theaters on Christmas Day, uh, and it will also be on Amazon Prime Video shortly after that, beginning on January 15th. So you're not going to miss this one. If you're into watching movies that are going to be nominated for Oscars, then you're going to have to watch this. I can assure you it will be nominated in several categories. We're going to switch gears completely. And talk about something that probably is not going to get any Oscar nominations and that is definitely not a one room movie that is about 
religious and cultural uh, civil rights conversations. This is Greenland, starring Gerard Butler, Marina Baccarin, Roger Dale Floyd, and I almost don't, don't even want to say this because it was I didn't know he was in it, and it was such a surprise when he showed up. But Scott Glenn. Yes, Scott Glenn. <laughs> it's written by Chris Sparling and directed by Rick Roman Waugh. Uh, if you don't know who Rick Roman Waugh is, because you probably don't, he is also the director of Angel Has Fallen, the most recent and probably best, is a really good movie, uh, collaboration with Gerard Butler in the Fallen series, and he will be doing the next installment of that series as well. The synopsis, a family fights for survival as a planet-killing comet races to Earth. Ever heard that one before? John Garrity, his estranged wife Allison, and young son Nathan make a perilous journey to their only hope for sanctuary. Amid terrifying news accounts of cities around the world being leveled by the comet's fragments, the Garritys experience the best and worst in humanity while they battle the increasing panic and lawlessness surrounding them. As the countdown to global apocalypse approaches zero, their incredible trek culminates in a desperate and last-minute flight to a possible safe haven. Patrick, what'd you like about this one? Scott Glenn. I mean, (laughs) that's fair. That's That's very fair. That's going to, yeah, that's going to sound bad. No, I enjoyed this a whole lot. I was, uh, I was texting you as I was watching it and it was literally giving me some anxiety and you were asking like, really? I mean, cause have you ever been a part of a, as if you were asking, have you ever been a part of a comet, you know, racing to earth and just, you know, having an ELE? I said, no, I mean, it's about a father who is looking for his son, who's looking for his family, who's lost his family. And probably in college, this would have been, you know, no brainer. Hey, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But having that kind of connection with Gerard Butler's character, I think really made it significant for me. I also love the pacing. I thought that we got a great balance of exposition, drama, and action. Nothing felt overblown. There were moments where (laughs) in the events that were taking place, we obviously got some massive self-destruction. And the special effects here, I think, really sold it. Don't know that I would believe it as a realistic thing, but I think that the way in which it was shown to us made me think, wow, I've never thought of comets being able to make those kinds of impacts, literally, figuratively, whatever you want to call it. I also love the chemistry between uh, Gerard Butler and uh, his son in this. I thought the way that we get introduced to them is exactly how I would interact with my son, telling really bad, gross jokes to him and getting him to laugh, interacting with him, asking him about things. And the subtle way in which we get the backstory about he and his estranged wife allowed me to feel some empathy there. We didn't have to have a lot of information. We got told some things. We got shown some other things. Nothing was ever really given to us in full. And for me, that was enough because it helped push the story along and it helped create a really solid A, I guess you would call it a B plot. The A plot is obviously the the world's coming to an end because of this big giant comet, but it felt very purposeful and I could latch on to his story and the story of them as a family trying to get to safe haven. How about you, Coles? What'd you like about this one? The family aspect is very strong in this film 
what you typically see in a film like this, in a disaster film, is that usually the leading man will get separated from his family, and usually we'll have, like, bits and pieces where we'll go back and see how the wife or the kids are doing, but you're mostly just following the leading man the whole time, but this film doesn't do that. We follow Gerald Butler, who is actually really good in this, which I was surprised by, because he's mostly been on my miss list and hit after 300, so I was glad to see him come back onto my good list. <laughs> um, but we got to see the wife and the kid, and we saw that they were going through a lot, a lot of struggles to get to where they were going to. So I, I was happy to see that we get to follow their story, just like we were following Gerald's. There's a lot of good thrilling moments. Um, the vi the visuals could have been better. I, I will say that the visuals could have used some touch-up, but they're done very well for the short budget that they had. And I did like that we get we got a slew of surprising um you know character um, character actors coming in that I didn't expect. Um there was the guy who plays in um Netflix's Mind Hunter that was in this film. I don't know his name, but I, I recognized him and then some other people. But for me, it's not a deep impact, you know, but it's it's a good disaster film and it's probably one of the biggest surprises of the year for me. Gerald Butler. No wonder you don't like him because you're not even watching the right guy. His name's Gerard Butler. Totally different guy. No. Uh, um, well, you're right. I agree with you. It is no Deep Impact. It is vastly better than Deep Impact. Like by leaps and bounds, better than Deep Impact. I've been having this conversation with people online all of the last 24 hours. That was going to sound a lot cooler until I actually did the math. But <laughs> people are like, I love Deep Impact. And I'm like, no, Deep Impact is hokey. Because it's got this stupid kids romance subplot that just needs to go. Anyway, I liked it a lot better. The things that I liked about it, though, are very similar, you know, to what you guys were appreciating. And that's just, it's an unexpected tone for the typical disaster formula. And instead of focusing on the disaster, it's focused on the people and their reactions to the disaster. I mean, there is very little disaster in this movie. There are a couple of scenes, and that's it. I mean, it, it really tones it down. I, it's hard for me to actually explain how much it does tone it down, especially when you look at the poster for this movie, which I'm doing right now. And of course, it's like them with the explosions in the background, like like the world is on fire. <laughs> I mean, that just is a tiny piece of the two hour runtime. It's on their struggles and the struggles of humanity. And what really blew me away about this movie that made me love it so much is that there are negative aspects of humanity that are shown, but not in a cartoon villainy way. So many of these movies exaggerate the way that people act to go to extremes, to be like, this is, somebody's going to do so many random, totally wacky, crazy things, but it doesn't really go down like that. There's one scene that maybe starts to touch on that, but even it makes sense um, in the back of a truck. You guys will know what I'm talking about. But the rest is completely believable and specifically more so on the positive side of humanity. There are things in this movie that the cynic will look at and go, oh, my gosh, groan. Wow, people wouldn't actually do that. They wouldn't really try to stop and help people. I disagree. I don't believe that. I think that people would act like the people in this movie do at the FEMA tent or the way that people reach out to help each other in a time of need and they do so not necessarily at the first opportunity that's the key that i think makes it realistic is sometimes people have to think about it and sometimes they have to look at themselves and look go in the mirror and say oh you know what 
this is the right thing to do and this is what I, I've got to accomplish. And so it's really a movie that does a great job, I think, of making a case for how we treat each other in the face of inevitable doom is more important than what happens in the end and who gets to the safe spot and who lives and who dies. Because it really does you know, hone in on that topic of if you're going to lose your humanity to save some people, like what's the point? What are you saving? And so I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. I just so much more. I was crying at times. Scott Glenn, oh my God, uh, had me in tears. And there are, you know, there's good acting. I love Gerard Butler anyway. And I think that he plays a phenomenal every man action hero. You know, he's not the best hand to hand combatant in this movie. He's not an ex military guy. You know, he's just a dude who is trying to get through this with his wife, who he's been estranged from and his kid. And I think that it's a beautiful story and a lot of fun to watch. And I just, I thought it was great. Um, on a negative side, I, I would agree with you, Coles, on the visuals. I, I don't like, I didn't love them. I thought that some of the visuals were kind of tacky looking, to be honest. And so maybe that's partially why I'm glad there wasn't more of it because it just, it would have brought the film down if we continue to see more of the destruction. And I think because the movie is so realistic and so grounded throughout it, that when we do get that bombastic, crazy over the top explosiveness, it feels way more out of place. Whereas if your movie is only about that, and that's what you're seeing for like 50% of the runtime, then you kind of get accustomed to it. And you're like, that's the movie I'm in, but it didn't really fit too well with the movie that was being shown. And my other negative for this one, I guess, or the thing that I would warn folks about is if you're looking for something that's going to be super duper memorable, I don't think that this is that. I really don't. I don't think that the, I love the characters, but I don't think that they're characters who I'm going to remember their names tomorrow or next week or a year from now. But I'm always going to look back on the movie fondly, and it is one that I would gladly watch again. So I'll, I'll say that. What about you, Patrick? What did you not like about this one? Well, I don't know that it necessarily left me feeling hopeful because I mean, when we get to the end, there's resolution, but it didn't feel like, okay, yeah, I guess this is what it is. I had no issues with the visuals. I think that I like the fact that we didn't get a ton of that, which to me didn't make this a disaster movie. It made it a drama with a disaster movie kind of on the side. The only other thing is that we've seen this story before. We've seen it with Deep Impact. We've seen it with Armageddon. And it's, you know, it's a treasure hunting. It's like the treasure hunting movie. We've seen the Nazis be the bad guys when it comes to hunting treasure. And to your point, Aaron, at some point, let's move on. Let's find another ELE that we can that we can have fun watching and not feel bad about. But other than that, I think that it's if you liked the Armageddon or if you liked the Deep Impacts, this is one that's going to be right up your alley. So I would say, yeah. Um, that would probably be the only nitpick is that it's repetitive in terms of its storytelling, but still, I think it's refreshing. Coles, anything that you want to add for the dislike side? It's a part of a formula. I mean, it, it's something that we have seen before, so it does nothing new. So I can't say that it's truly memorable and call me sadistic, but I was actually expecting more explosions and more, um, mayhem. You know, I guess I'm used to like, you know, the Armageddon's and Michael Bayham just exploding everything. Um, and also, 
I mean, when you look at the characters, I mean, they're they're really just paper, paper thin characters. I mean, even though that the actors didn't do anything, I would say bad. I mean, you're coming into this film just only to see, to worry about is the world going to end and how are these characters going to survive. I mean, if you're looking for anything else, if you're looking for any like you know something that's like an Oscar winner or something that you can put onto a top ten list, I mean, this is definitely not for you. But if you want to come in with a a free, fun mind and get some drama, get some thrills, and also just not have to really worry about taking it seriously, then, yeah, I would say watch this film. Um, and, I, Aaron, I have to respond to you because you've been taking some shots at Deep Impact. And I have to say, Deep Impact is a great film. It is. And Amen, Kalas. Amen. And I would, and I would challenge it. you, challenge Preach you. It. Like, you probably have heard this before, but I would challenge you to go random on iTunes or Voodoo. And just sit down in a dark room, just nothing, no, no distractions at all. Just sit down in a dark room, stare at the screen, watch it, and then feel it, understand it. Oh, stop! <laughs> oh my! I rewatched it recently, like within the last couple of years, back to back with Armageddon, which is a masterpiece. And Deep Impacts is just like its little brother that shouldn't have wow. ever been made. You want to just start your own show, Kales, called like so really feeling it, like oh, wow, I'm getting <laughs> fired in real time. This is. It's not good. And now that there's three of us, there's actually a majority. Whoa. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> well, this one is available on Video On Demand, December 18th. Doesn't look like it's going to be getting a theater release anymore because of COVID. So screw you, COVID, again. Uh, Patrick, are you... Yeah, I would say yes, feeling it. And I wish it got a theatrical release because I think it's a movie that deserves to be on the big screen. Ditto. Coles? Feeling it. But feeling deep impact more. And uh, me, I'm definitely feeling this one. It's one of my favorite surprise movies of the year. I really, really enjoyed it. Can't wait to see what Gerald does next. Oh, yes. That was. <laughs> I got to co- compose myself. Woo, okay. Uh, next up is another film that is getting lots of Oscar buzz, primarily because it stars. Tom Hanks, and that's really all you need to have Oscar buzz, to be honest. So Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Marvell, Helena Zingle, and Ray McKinnon are the headliners for this one. It's News of the World, the name of the movie. It's adapted by Paul Greengrass and Luke Davis from a novel by Paulette Giles, and it is directed by Paul Greengrass, who also teamed up with Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips, I believe. Synopsis, a Civil War veteran agrees to deliver a girl taken by the Kiowa people years ago to her aunt and uncle, against her will. They travel hundreds of miles and face grave dangers as they search for a place that either can call home. Kales is telling me he did not see this one, which means it's just me? Or did Patrick, are you the one that saw it with me? Patrick didn't no, see it. No, I did not. They, this is the one I got snubbed on because I live in Arkansas. Oh, yeah, and, um They told me that there was an error sending me a screener. They never sent me the replacement, even when I went back to contact them. Okay, so Coles did not get news of the world, and neither did Patrick. So you're going to have nothing but no my news. opinion. There's no that, news of the world. That's maybe unfortunate <laughs> for you listeners, because there are some people out there that have spoken very highly of this film, and I'm not going to be one of them. I think that it has some beautiful landscape shots. Um, one of the things that – this is a journey movie. It's a road movie, only there's no roads yet, so they're on horseback going across mountains and plains, etc., but it's beautiful from a cinematography looking at the landscape angle. 
it's got an incredibly tender and emotionally evocative score. I think that the score is fantastic and I really enjoyed it. It's one that I could put on and just kind of lay back and just uh, soak in at any time. And the leading performance by the young actress, Helena Zingle, who is the charge of Tom Hanks as he is moving with her across the country to deliver her home. She is wonderful. She puts in great work. Definitely going to be on my top youth performance list for Seattle Film Critics Society Awards. And I think that she does just an excellent job acting with an icon like Tom Hanks. He's good. He's good. He's Tom Hanks. And I mean, I think that's kind of into my dislikes is that he's Tom Hanks. And at this point, it's really hard for him to break out of that Tom Hanks mold and be anything unique to me. I think part of it was my expectations, maybe going into it. When I read that synopsis about all this grave danger that they're going to face on this journey, there's a couple moments of danger. I don't know that I would quite say it's filmed with the graveness that maybe it should be to be entertaining in that way. But it's definitely not got the intensity of the movie Captain Phillips that he did with Paul Greengrass or really any of Greengrass's previous films. He's really much more of a thriller kind of guy generally. And this is a slow and meditative journey with a couple of bursts of action that take place. It just doesn't have a lot of momentum or excitement. And that became very boring for me. I didn't really like the exciting sections either. I think some of the CGI is kind of whack. There's a dust storm that happens and a wagon that breaks at one point falling down a mountain. And they did not look like practical effects of any kind to me. They looked way out of place. Didn't really enjoy that. And there's not a lot of news of the world being spread. Uh, it's the through line is that that's what he does is he travels across the country, you know, reading the news for the townsfolks. They pay him. He reads it because they can't. And he tells them what's going on in the world. So he does it a couple times. And I really enjoyed that part of it. It made me want to go rewatch the post, honestly, but uh, there's just no real surprises to this story. It's a very sweet, ultimately, but entirely predictable story from the very first moment all the way to the end. And so I didn't feel like it left me with anything particularly. I just kind of was like, real. I was just so disappointed by this. I'll be, I, I mean, I really don't have another word for it. I, I was disappointed by this one because I expected Tom Hanks, a Western. I love Westerns. We don't get enough of them. And I wanted more from this than I got. And so unfortunately, I would say I'm honestly not feeling this. If I'm being real with you, I'm not. And that doesn't mean that I would not suggest you go see it. It will be in select theaters on Christmas Day. I think a lot of people will enjoy that slow, meditative, predictable journey that I just mentioned that didn't work for me. As I said, there's plenty of critics out there who are reviewing this who did love it. And so you're welcome to go check out some opinions from them on what they found to be, you know, really good. But from my perspective, I'm not feeling it. And I would say skip it and wait till it comes to video on demand and give it a rental if you're still interested. Well, last but not least is the next Netflix movie, The Midnight Sky. And this is starring George Clooney, Felicity Jones and Kyle Chandler as well as David Ode, I never can say it. Can anybody pronounce his last name so I don't have to just sit here? No. Nope. I'm going to try. I want to give him Ode respect. 
Okay. Um, well, I already butchered Gerald Butler. Um, Gerald Butler's name, so I'm not going to attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, MLK is in this movie essentially. Uh, story is by Lily Brooks Dalton, and this is another directorial effort by George Clooney. The synopsis, in the aftermath of a global catastrophe, a lone scientist in the Arctic races to contact a crew of astronauts with a warning not to return to Earth. Coles, did you get to this? Yes, I did. Okay, what'd you like? Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline. I mean, there there's a scene in this film where um the group of astronauts get together for a sing-along singing Sweet Caroline. I mean, that... That honestly, for me, was the juice of this film that I got everything else. I can't really point to another positive. I'm sorry to be so brief, but this film, um, I'll get to it. When we get to next, I'll tell you. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, that might be longer for all of us. Patrick, what did you like about this one? You know, I thought the the sci-fi is fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, Aaron and I had similar notes with regard to uh, the setting field like it was coming from the planet Hoth and not planet Earth. And I I don't know if that was very distracting, but it really felt like when you watch a movie like this, it takes place almost in three different places, physically or mentally. And it's it's fun to watch. I'll just leave it at that. Wow. <laughs> We're not doing anybody any favors. Okay, so the first portion of this movie it kind of oscillates between two different storylines one Clooney's character the astronaut the astronaut he's a scientist he's left on Hoth slash the Arctic of Earth and he finds a little girl that's left behind and so he has to go through a survival story that almost kind of mirrors what you see in the Martian with him trying to get to an antenna to send a message right and simultaneously dealing with flashbacks to his past and having to become this surrogate parent all of a sudden to this little girl who doesn't speak. So there's like that movie that's part of this. Then there's also the astronauts in space who are traveling back to Earth. And there is not a lot happening in that storyline. And, and it goes back to that a few times. And for me, it just totally tanks when it goes back and forth because there are two very different things happening. The movie explains itself in the end. And it is the kind of film that you're either going to be like, I called it. You're going to be like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Or you're going to throw your hands up in frustration and be like, mother, are you kidding me? I'm the latter in this one. And so it really did not work for me. I was a little bit annoyed. I'm really trending into my dislikes because there's not a lot I liked. Clooney is pretty good from an acting standpoint. The designs of the observatory and the ether, it's called the ether, the spaceship, were awesome. Uh, Patrick and I are about to do a top five on movie spaceships. And I was like, man, this from a looks perspective, if it had done more with the spaceship, it probably would have been a contender for me. Looks wise, it is very sleek, science fiction-y. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But it is a slow, meditative burn, I will say. Our friend Don Shanahan, who just did the contact episode with us, and I know many of you listeners have commented back to us and told us you loved, so thank you. We appreciate that. It was a great episode. He loves this kind of movie, and he was like instant five-star, which is mind-boggling to me. So there is a type of person who this is definitely going to resonate with. Um, I would say it's it's closer to an Ad Astra than anything else that I've seen lately, 
And I didn't really resonate with that one either. So that's where I'm coming from. But I think that the score is phenomenal and actually maybe Oscar worthy, to be honest. And the production design is phenomenal. So it has some technical elements about it that are great. It's just the way that the story comes together and is told do absolutely nothing for me. Coles, you had some stuff to say, so hit us with it. The pacing is brutal in this film. Um, in the beginning, we're, they go all in on focusing on Clooney's side of the story. And then towards the middle of the film, they go, they start focusing more on the space. And then when they cut back and forth, the story really loses its balance very quickly. And it becomes kind of plotting, plotting like a stick like going down a river stream that no one really cares about. I, I I just found myself just so easy distracted. Like the the story is just not compelling to me. I mean, I've seen better space films than this. Like even Gravity was more compelling than this film was. And I wasn't a big fan of Gravity like that. Um, the character development is weak. Um, I couldn't even get close to Clooney's character, even though they put some flashbacks to kind of give you some background to what he's ruminating over. He's going through an illness, but I couldn't connect with him. I couldn't connect with either any of the astronauts. It seemed like that they were just playing caricatures of people and that you do get some information about them, but you never feel that you really know them. So when things happen to them, I kind of just kind of didn't really care. I mean, it's, it's harsh to say it. Um, I, I just also would just like to piggyback that just because for me, um, Films like this, space films like this, don't really do much for me, but I could see this finding an audience for somebody. If there's a silver light, like Aaron said, you can find an audience for somebody who just loves slow burns or who loves when stories take their time. And it definitely has a lot to do with space. It's, the visual effects are pretty good for a Netflix film. So I would um, I would put that on a good list. But everything else about this film is just very unremarkable, very plain, um, and... I'm going to forget about it as soon as this podcast is over. I forgot about it mostly before <laughs> the podcast. Patrick, what, what are we on? Are we on dislike? What did you not like about this one? Well, I will say this. It inspired me. Oh. To go rewatch Interstellar and oh. Passengers. And, <laughs> and the ones we love. <laughs> and, and the ones we love. And, and the reason why is because it felt like a miss, a, just like a mashup of all these little things. And that's okay. It's okay to have those elements. But the sum was not better than its parts by any means. When you can take inspiration and thread a cohesive story, this felt really kind of all over the place. But like those movies, like Passengers, like Interstellar, I'm with Don in that I want these stories. I want the contacts out there. Like those movies, it takes more than one viewing, and I'm willing to give it a second chance after it, releases i mean obviously we can you know watch the screener all day but i need to i feel like it's in my best interest because i'm like don to give it another chance and to do so not necessarily for prepping for the show or to give my full review but because i need to say okay I, i've seen it i need to latch on and take it for what it is and i might come out saying the exact same thing but any kind of cerebral sci-fi, for better or for worse, I think deserves multiple viewings because it has a lot to say. We could end up, like we are now, saying it tried to say a lot and ended up saying nothing. Or I could be turned, just like a lot of people are when they watch something a second or third time and say, you know what? Wasn't in the right mindset for it. Or wasn't in the – it was a day instead of night. Or 
you know, whatever. So I will say this time around, it did not do anything for me emotionally. Uh, it just felt real scattered. That doesn't mean it probably will do the same, you know, a month from now or two weeks from now when I decide to watch it again. So I will absolutely co-sign that that can be a thing because I have had that experience almost once a year with a film. I had it with Blade Runner 2049. I had it with Annihilation and I had it with Tenet, all three. The disclaimer I would give to that or the, I guess, like a little bit of a nuance with myself is that I have to be interested in it in the first place to be willing enough to go back for that second viewing. Right. And so while we're answering our feeling it right here, I'm not feeling this one because for me, and, and obviously for you, you were interested enough in what was going on to say you want to go back to it and give it another shot. For me, I don't. I have zero desire to do that. And so if you find yourself either between us or maybe more on Patrick's side of where you were like, man, I want to like this. I feel like there's something there, maybe. Then, yeah, you're going to be better off to go back and give something like this a second chance. Cause you're right, Patrick, there are so many times where movies like this will hit so much differently once you're going to it a second time, just for many different reasons, but I'm not feeling it. Uh, Coles, you not feeling it, not feeling it. Patrick, what, what would you say if I had to say I, feeling it or not feeling it? I would say a cautious feeling it. Okay. You know, I, I can, I, I can see that. I think it's four hours total if you watch it twice. So I won't say it's four hours you'll never get back because there's a lot worse movies out there, you know, uh, Bird Brain or whatever that one that came out with produced by <laughs> Bird Mark. Box. Bird Box, sorry, a Bird Box. No, but no, Lady, but no, Songbird. The one oh, that I thought was, you meant the. Okay, yes, Songbird. Yeah, movies with yeah. birds in the title besides Hitchcock are terrible. So let's just say that as a blanket statement. Or if it's Max Cloud, those are definitely an hour and a half you won't get back. So yes, reluctant or cautious, cautious, yes. Okay, it'll be available on Netflix December 23rd for your viewing pleasure or disappointment, depending on where you land. Last, I just want to make a quick plug, guys. This is not one for us all to review, but I just wanted to say this is a movie that I discovered in my catch-up time here as I'm prepping for award season, and I'm ready, getting ready to make my top 10 list at the end of the year. G-Kids put this anime out at the beginning of the year. It's called Ride Your Wave. Um, it's the latest anime from Masaka Yusa, and he usually does much more fantastical stuff than what this movie ends up being. And I watched it once, and I just fell in love with it. I watched it a second time, and it's darn near maybe my favorite movie of the year, and so I wanted to take this one opportunity we have to promote it. It is a romantic drama anime. And it is about adults instead of teenagers. And it is really relatively restrained of its fantasy elements, at least for Yusa. And it has a reoccurring musical theme in a song that goes throughout the whole thing. It gives me very strong La La Land vibes. It teaches us how to make great coffee. There's animation in this of, of how learning how to make espresso that just made me drool constantly. Um, it is gorgeously animated, but it has a much more soft style than you might expect from something like a Shinkai. It doesn't look like a Shinkai. In fact, there's a big scene where they're on a rooftop and fireworks are going off all around them and behind them. And I was immediately comparing it to Shinkai. And I'm like, man, that doesn't look like Shinkai's fireworks. This looks more like a, a softer palette, like a, a watercolory um, look to it. But it fits the tone of the story. It's got really nuanced emotional depth and it deals with a, a love story. 
it deals with loss, and then it deals with what it means to move on. And it throws a fun little whimsical element in there to help that out in the back end of the movie. And it, it's great. I think it is extremely accessible for mainstream animation fans, much like Lupin is in its genre. And I really hope that people see this one. It is available on Hoopla. If you don't know what Hoopla is, it's a place you can get a free audiobook, ebook, music, and movie rentals through your local library account. So some places have it across the country, some places don't. But if you have it, you can check it out. They've got Ride Your Wave there. They've got it in its original Japanese. And they've also got it dubbed. And the dub is fantastic. I can speak to that. I love this one. And I just want everybody to go see it. It's in the vein of, you know, a Your Name and a Weathering With You type of story. And the, I just, I learned that this is my thing. If you give me an anime story that is a love story like that, I'm going to probably fall head over heels for it. And that's the case with Ride Your Wave. So wanted to promote that before we wrap everything up. Patrick, can you take us out? I sure can, if you like. I mean, <laughs> I know. I, um, you know, it's been great. This is a packed episode we've had. You've got a lot of recommendations, a lot of positivity from the three of us. So there's a lot of movies coming out in the next two weeks. So do yourself a favor. If you've got some time off, spend it on the couch. I'm telling you to be lazy because it's the holidays. It's the time when you can give yourself permission to do that. And we've got at least five and a half movies that we can definitely recommend for you to enjoy. And then there's another movie and a half in case you run out of good stuff to watch, which that's probably not possible because there's so much content out there. You will never run out. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for going through these with me. I'm excited for our first FF plus of the new year. Until then we'll be taking a break from this. Patrick and I'll be back soon with fly to the navigator. Thank you everybody for listening. We will be back soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.